Praise the Lord. This morning we're going to continue our praise, whether it's teaching or preaching or offering, we are giving praise unto the Lord. And I'm a dialogical preacher, meaning I like dialogue, so anytime you have an opportunity to praise God, feel free to, to let him have it. Amen. So I would like to thank Pastor for allowing the opportunity to preach this morning. Um, I knew it worked out, um, considering how I am a state fan and had zero uh, dog in the fight yesterday, so um, there was no extra, extra unnecessary burden on my heart. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it is good to be before you this morning. Um, it's good to see all of you again in the house of the Lord. I would like to put up uh, introductory scripture, Acts 2.38. Keep all my notes. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Before I go forward, I, I would like to tell you all about uh, one specific lady who uh, actually was surprised by a burglar in her kitchen. She was all, he was all loaded down with things that he was about to, to rob her for, and she was unsuspecting. She was not armed. She was not, had no way to fight off this younger burglar. But she had just come from church, and she said, Acts 2.38. And as she began to speak to him, he froze, and she had time to call the police officers. When the police officers showed up, he says, Sir, what is it about the scripture that just paused you? And froze you with such fears of scripture. I, I was thinking that she said she had an axe in 238s. <laughs> with that being said, if Brother Jamie would stand, I'd like to uh, conveniently uh, plug the gun safety class. Um, <laughs> if, if you have not heard of that or would uh, be someone that would be interested in signing up for that and have not already, please see him. Also, we're doing a men's meeting this evening um, as well as basketball for anyone who is willing and able. So um, we look forward to, to many of those things. I am thankful this morning to be given the opportunity to speak to each of you. I'm excited with God's timing, what he's been orchestrating here in our church and our congregation and obviously this wonderful community that we've been placed in. Pastor recently has been preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's been filled powerfully and anointed, proclaiming God's word Sunday after Sunday. It's in the same spirit that I stand before you today. I would like to preach a message of clarity and hope and desire to complement everything that has been said in all of the weeks following. I'd like to challenge you this morning to step forward in spirit and in truth. And draw closer to the Father in personal intimacy. The things that I'm going to speak on are very dear to my heart. I don't believe that it's necessarily an easy sermon to preach. But I do believe that God is working here in our church, in our people. I know that with everything there should be clarity. And I feel that this morning God is doing something in this place. If you would join me in prayer. God, thank you Lord for... For who you are, God. Lord, you are sovereign and holy, Lord. Lord God, we worship you, Lord, because, God, we cannot even comprehend your majesty. 
God, may I never lose, Lord, the reverency. God, may I never lose, Lord, the awe. God, of not just standing in your pulpit, but to be able to call you my Lord. That is such a privilege. Thank you, God, for calling us unto yourself, for making a way, Lord, to have a relationship with you. God, I pray, Lord, this morning, God, that they would be clear, God, precision, Lord, in every word, Lord. God, that it may come from your throne room. God, that you would prick, God, even my heart, God, to desire more of you in my life. Thank you, God, for what you're doing today in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I started off with Acts 2.38. Um, I've heard that joke many, many times over the course of my life, or at least long ago. But as I was studying, the, the verse kept popping up, and so I was, you know what, I'm just going to go with it. But the spirit theology that, that we believe here, so often it's not necessarily preached in many churches um, to really understand what that means, or you, know, you have to kind of do a lot of individual study to really come up with that. We have a, a great book by Dr. June Evans on understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But over the course of, of the years here, and, and even last summer, um, the Lord has even prepared me through Regent. Um, I wrote multiple papers on the topic, and it, it, it struck me to be something that the timing was just right on. At the end of the day, the spirit theology is founded on Christ. It starts and ends with Christ. It's about Christ through and through. It's theology that's founded in Scripture, in the Word of God, and it's meant to build up the Christian to equip them for good works and for evangelism. If you see on the back of your bulletin, right beneath our logo, it says, exalt, encourage, equip, and evangelize. That's what we're called to do. But yet so much of that is inhibited unless we're fully walking and flowing in the Holy Spirit. As I step off this morning into this difficult subject, I would like to at least address the context, the background regarding what we are dealing with. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. Says, or in the, in the New King James, rather, Tammy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. First of all, those that are a part of this church know that we believe God has not removed any of his power or gifting from the church. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. This is obviously not something that is totally accepted across the uh, wide universal church, and yet... We see different reasons for that. We see people saying that it's Satan himself operating in a disguise. We see people that say that it ceased with the apostles. Um, I've even read so much that it ceased before the apostles had passed on and that the, the books were some of the earlier books. It's not given that much weight in the scripture. Um, and yet, oftentimes this ignores a lot of the context of the other passages, when it speaks of the power of the Spirit, I believe it's talking about power. And this is not to say that there is not order and there's not clarity amongst it, but if we do not go to our quiet place, 
and recharge our own spiritual batteries? How are we to go out and have any type of effectiveness in impacting our world? Larry Sparks of Charisma writes, It would make a lot of sense that the enemy would tirelessly fight against something that has such a strong potential to pillage his expansion of darkness in our lives and on the earth. Ronald Kidd is a, is a pastor, professor, Canadian. I read behind, actually, this past summer, I, I got his book at Duke University um, in the library there. And he notes in his book, Charismatic Gifts in the Early Church, how the early church was actually full of spiritual power, spiritual activity, and things going on, not just in the apostles' times, not just early on, but yet it did eventually, after a few hundred years, wane away. Now, whether this was pressure from outsiders or Christian pacifism, there is certainly a decline. And he states in that book, there came a point around A.D. 260 when tongues no longer fit in the highly organized, well-educated, wealthy, socially powerful Christian communities. The church did not lose its soul, but it did lose these special moments when God broke into the lives of men and women. I I tell you this because I recognize it's, it's pointless to jump into a subject without addressing where we are as believers. The context here so many years ago is still the context today. There is this tension in the church. What that does as a believer, even in a church like ours, it does two things. It gives us fear that we might be wrong, and it gives us pride of not being sure. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says that we are not given a spirit of fear, but of power. I'd like to challenge you this morning to remember that the enemy is the one that goes around seeking who he may destroy. We have our Holy Father that has sent his Son to die for us, to save us. He's the same Father that said, when regarding the Holy Spirit, if you ask for a fish, do you believe that I would give you a serpent? As earthly fathers, you can give good gifts, and yet, how could you not expect me to give you a good gift when I ask for it? In the same context there in Luke 11, it goes right into a passage where the Pharisees are having this real conflict with Jesus because he's healing people. And say, wait a second, he's casting out demons through Beelzebub. And Jesus confronts them and says, you cannot cast out demons with demons. A house divided amongst itself will not stand. There should be and excitement when we dig into the scriptures, pursue our own personal walk with the Lord, and do it in a way that is healthy for the church. When it comes to pride, we know in scripture, 1 Peter 5, 5, James 4, 6, they both reference the Proverbs passage that says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So often on social media, through our, just the tendency of our Western culture, we see what other people are doing so often that we don't realize how often we are affected when it comes to our own actions. Oh, well, what would they think? What, what, you know, it's always something that's in the back of our minds. And I, and I challenge you this morning to be aware of that, but to try to step past it. Proverbs 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. The core of my message this morning will come out of James 3, but to, to, to let you know the context for why I chose it, is to know that the words that you speak is extremely... Every aspect of our, our words, every aspect of, of what we put forth as a believer sets our identity as to who we are. And I, I do not find it coincidence that these things would also be true, that they would align together. So if you would keep this in mind, that speaking life means speaking God's perspective over a circumstance. That is what produces life, to speak God's will into a situation. If you would, turn with me to James 3. James 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. This word here does not mean perfection as in perfection as in Christ, but perfection as in maturity. If someone can actually attain control of their whole body, they truly are stepping into maturity. Speaking of bridling the whole body, he uses this beautiful analogy of horses. We can put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and turn their whole body. Such a small bit. And then he goes into speaking of the ship. Look also that they're so large and driven by fierce winds, and yet they're turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. This morning, if we can understand this idea of sanctification which is a word that is used sometimes, but to really define it, it means to being set apart for holiness. Several hundred years ago, it was, it was considered a significant act of grace that someone was sanctified. And I believe that God still does that. God, There's many examples, even in our own church, of, of God miraculously, instantaneously bringing someone out of a sin. Now more so, we consider it more of a progressive work of grace on the believer. But yet, regardless of what it is, it's this idea of walking in holiness. And I want to challenge you this morning to think about the words that you say. And knowing that sanctifying, setting apart your tongue for holiness, for things that glorify God, will go a long way towards allowing you to step into maturity as a whole person, as a whole believer. Okay, it guides it, the same way that the, the rudder guides the ship. This is the way that we are guided. It, 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 it determines the outlook. It determines the the identity that people will look upon you and see who is this person, who is speaking to me. As we keep going forward, I'm using a lot of scripture, but I just want you to know that in the same manner that the rudder guides the ship, so too with our lives. Many of you heard of Dr. Michael Brown. I read behind him, he's actually a Messianic Jew, and he 
uses a ship analogy as well. He says for the spirit to be in our sails, the word is our rudder and our compass. Amen. So I want you to know that's the reason there's so much scripture here. The reason that anytime you're doing a study like this, it has to be founded on the word of God. You have to look. You cannot just take scriptures here and here. You have to look at the full context of books like Acts and Luke and John and see what is the Lord saying to the church. The spirit and word always complement one another. The word was birthed by the spirit. And yet the spirit will always help us rightly discern the word of truth. Now y'all got to hang on with me. There's, there's, there's a little bit we got to get through here. How many of y'all have heard of a certain boat named the Titanic? It's not always good to be well known. <laughs> the Titanic was a ship. Very proud. And yet they lacked discernment. They lacked the precision steering to avoid what we now know as why they are so infamous. Look at the next few verses here. James 5, 7. Or 5 through 7. Chapter 3, verse 5 through 7 says, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. It's not an easy passage to read, but it's there. It's the word of God. Folks, hell is real. It's not easy to preach on. Most people in the church now consider it to be not a very popular topic, but neither is sanctification. So there, therein lies the fact that we have to preach the whole truth. Nothing but the truth, so help me God. So this morning... We have to realize where we are at as believers. When we start off, there is such a thing as being totally lost and burned before God. This is the natural state of the tongue. So often now you'll hear more New Age type things and say, oh, you know, just speak good thoughts. And more or less, they're they're taking the gospel without Jesus in it. And they're just trying to get the other stuff and hope that it'll work out, right? Just, Just say good things. We don't worry about Jesus, but just say good things. Well, no, we are naturally evil. And we have to get past where we are, which is totally lost and depraved by God. I mean, it, it's, it's, there's, there's a total disconnect. And yet, oh, praise the one who paid my debt. The one that now lives through me. It's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. 
I don't know if you can get a hold of this this morning, but there is something excited about knowing where you've been that allows you to look forward and see the potential of where you might be able to go. By God's grace. By God's grace. There is such a tension. James 3, 8 says, No man can tame the tongue. That seems a little bit contradictory to verse 2, right? We're talking about the perfect man. We've got to see what, what James is saying here. He's saying, naturally, there is no taming the tongue. It is. As my wife would like to let you know, this is a metaphor. <laughs> it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. There is a sense of total depravity in this passage. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the very popular passage on this subject, especially in, in the spirit and understanding the guidelines for public worship, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul actually references Isaiah 28, 11 through 12. This is a historical moment where the Assyrian army is coming in to conquer. And he speaks to them and says, you have not heard the call. Israel, you, you, are, you are shutting off what God is trying to do. And so I will bring in a foreign people with a strange tongue and speak to you. And yet at the end of the passage it says they still don't receive God. So we know the story. They were carried into captivity. God did some amazing things for the children of Israel while they were in captivity, showing his power. Eventually they were restored. And then, of course, eventually Jesus Christ himself comes on the scene. In that same passage, this is an interesting study, to go home and look at, rest is mentioned. Rest. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Yet there's many ways you can take this. You can say sometimes with the discipline that God will give you, you can have rest amongst the discipline. I believe that God was saying for him to place it in 1 Corinthians 14, there is also a rest that can be found in the great comforter known as the Holy Spirit. There is a rest. We know Paul will say that it is a sign for the unbelievers. There is judgment involved, but so is anything with the gospel. Anything with the gospel that is not received produces judgment. It is what it is. You have hope. You have a free gift. Anytime that's not accepted, the alternative is obvious. To continue a little longer with the ship theme. So many of us, especially before Christ, we are all Titanics. And yet, as my brother James sang beautifully several weeks back, there is a lighthouse. There is a lighthouse. And as I was studying, it just hit me that this lighthouse 
He also controls the winds and the waves. He can say, peace, be still. So when we are on the waters of life's sea, when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are flowing with what has God, he, what he has purposed for us, because God gives all of us individuals to pour into, opportunities, doors to walk through. And yet when circumstances, like Habakkuk would say, they seem bleak, our anchor is firm. There is no wave, there is no gusts of wind that can keep us off course. Because that anchor will hold. If you would just flip open your Bible to keep, keep James tied close. 1 Corinthians 14, and I, I don't have time to, to really get way down deep on this. But I would just challenge you to do some study on your own. I'm going to point out a few points. Paul's guidelines here are for public worship. Tammy already put up the, the message for 1 Corinthians 14, I'll read just the very beginning of it. Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. Give yourselves to the gifts God gives you. Most of all, try to proclaim his truth. If you praise him in a private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does. For you're sharing intimacies just between you and him. But when you proclaim his truth in everyday speech, you're letting others in on the truth so that they can grow and be strong and experience his presence with you. He goes on to say, the one who prays using a private prayer language certainly gets a lot out of it, but proclaiming God's truth to the church in common language brings the whole church into growth and strength. I want all of you to develop intimacies with God in prayer, but please don't stop with that. Go on, proclaim his clear truth to others. And eventually he'll even call it cultivating God's presence. You might wonder why I chose the message there. Really, all the passages say the same thing, except here it specifically calls it the private language or the prayer language of tongues. Whether you're calling it speaking in tongues or whatever, this means the same thing. So often we get the two confused when one is going forth as a word in the church. If it's anything that disrupts, that's when we have to go back to the, to the word, the guidelines that are in place here in 1 Corinthians 14. As was mentioned earlier, even, even the Corinthians set forth the guidelines for offering. There, there, there was so much chaos in that church that Paul used it to address right Christian living going forward. And yet, now so often it becomes a stumbling block for so many because we, we lose, in elevating prophecy, we have to step down the other gifts. And that's not, that's not how it should be. If it is a gift of the Spirit, it should flourish in the church. And something else, interpretation is also beautiful. And when tongues are interpreted, it becomes prophecy. It becomes prophecy. But the point being, we have to be able to distinguish from what happens in our prayer closet and what happens in public worship. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, we all know the famous love passage, speaks of tongues of men and angels. 
I'd like to briefly mention this possibility. If, if uh, you look at Psalms 91, 11. The word says, for he'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. Now, I'd like to throw out a few different concepts to you. This, to me, is an exciting passage, but yet there's a caution at the same time. To me, if, if, if Paul really says tongues of men and angels, and there's this unknown tongue that we really are not sure about, do, do, do the, does the Holy Spirit commission angels on our behalf? Well, we a lot of times in our natural tongue will pray for the spirit of protection and, and for hedges and, and for God to do certain things. And yet, keep in mind, during the temptation of Jesus Christ, this here is the exact same passage that Satan used to tempt Jesus. So that's how we have to remember when we're walking in the spirit... Just because God's word is true does not mean that we step out and we do something manipulative, something that is not of the spirit of God, and to take God's truth out of context. This will probably make a little of you like step back, but it's, it's truth and it applies here. Mark 16, 7 says that for the believer, many things will follow. Casting out demons, speaking in new tongues, He goes on to speak about poison and snakes. But in the same kind of way where God is showing a protection for the believer, many people would take it and try to get an advantage of that. To go out and find some snakes. Yes, I said it. Some some would do that. That is taking advantage of the word of God. So here we find ourselves... In this struggle, some would, some would put us down, and yet some people would make a mockery from within the church to give church scars. And so we are caught in the middle between the two. And yet I challenge you as a believer to go to God's word, to not be afraid of it, to not be afraid of really getting to know what it says. It might be difficult, but there are people that want to help you with it. We all have mentors in our lives that can help us grow in spiritual maturity. Jumping back to the very end of James chapter 3. Or not the very end, but the end of the tongue section. Verse 9 says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water? And bitter from the same opening? Can a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. If we are to live by the Spirit, we are also to walk by the Spirit. And I challenge you this morning to not be confused and think that this gift is some way a spiritual status symbol, to think that it is some way something that you have a shortcut past sanctification, that's not how this works. That is never how this works. We are to walk lockstep with God every day. His mercies are new every morning, but that means 
that our willingness to humble ourselves has to be new every morning as well. So much damage is done in the church because someone comes to know Christ and then turns and then makes a mockery of the faith. Or they speak in tongues on Sunday and does whatever else on Saturday night. We are to be whole people built up in the faith. One final way that I'd like to challenge this morning in looking at this concept of baptism. I was reading behind a brother and and there was a concept of tie-dye. How many of you guys at least have owned a tie-dye shirt at some point in your life? If you've ever seen how these tie-dye shirts are made, they are taken and tied up in knots with rubber bands on them, dropped into a vat of dye. This, this author compared them to being baptized in this dye. And says so, so often we're like this shirt that we have little sections of our life that are knotted up and tied off and don't show the color that God has intended for us to show in our lives. And our hope and cry for God should be that we continually give more and more of ourselves to him, that we continually surrender to him, even the weaknesses, the places where we have tied off for so long, the scars. That's what God wants to take from us, to let us flourish, to let us really walk in the power that he has called us to. And finally, four takeaways. Miss Judy and Brother Matt, if the praise team would go ahead and come up. And I'll turn it over to Pastor here momentarily. Four takeaways. Faith, humility, prayer, and the word of God. Faith, humility, prayer, and the word of God. So often we get caught up in worship and, and we see someone worshiping and say, well, why don't they worship like I do? Or, or, or they're just at a different level. They're, they're a better Christian than I am. That's not how this is meant to be, folks. I read behind a a doctorate actually um, went to a Baptist school and then went to Princeton for his, his doctorate. He said that uh, there's nothing inherently emotional about what we're speaking on. So, so much of that is, is built into the personality of the believer. It's, it's built into just the way we normally operate. Even Dr. Michael Brown said, sometimes we try to do so many different things. We, we say the mind's here and the emotions are here. But yet for him, he can go to his prayer closet and be praying in the Spirit, have a thought come to him, and go back to his desk and be writing. He's a Messianic Jew, be writing in his ancient language sources. And it's the same Spirit at work within him. Faith, humility, prayer, and the Word. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 5 says that there is a river that flowed from the temple. And the farther and the farther this river went from the temple, the deeper it got. So when you speak of rivers of living water, that's how a lot of times it is. It may not just... So, I mean, personally, for me growing up, 
I saw the power of God at work, but I never understood that it wasn't supposed to be. One day I was just taken over and just, you know, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He is a gentleman. And it takes faith. Is your own tongue the same way that I would speak to you now would be the same way that one would pray in the prayer language? And same as the river flows from the temple and gets deeper and deeper and deeper. That's how our intimacy and maturity in the Lord is. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you enjoy it. The more you get to know him in a deeper and more personal way. And that takes faith. It takes faith the whole time. Each step of the way. At the end of the day, all of this is based on faith. I can get up here and douse you. I could have illustrations with you know, all kinds of things, and it takes faith. It takes humility, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit have to be evident. Yes, humility is not one of the fruit of the Spirit, but it encompasses so many of them. If you're operating in humility, you're always saying, no, throw the glory on Christ. Throw the glory on Christ. Constantly. And that's how we must walk each day. Prayer. Matthew 6, 6 says to go to the secret place and pray. Don't worry about praying out in the open with everyone with lots of words. That's what the Pharisees, that's what the heathens do. And so I challenge you this morning, if nothing else, how many of you could find a time even in your car when you're by yourself and maybe you cut the radio off and you pray. Maybe you cut the worship on and you pray to God in spirit. You just worship him. You just start off by thanking and praising God and, and just get lost in his presence. No one ever said that you had to shut your eyes while you're praying. If you're driving, please do not. <laughs> But so many of us, I mentioned the example of the car because I know we're all busy. But there are times, if you are intentional about your walk with God, there are times that we can set aside unto him. And the more you do it, the more it will be something that is valuable to you. And finally, the word of God. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. Regardless of what your background might be, as a believer, the word is valuable. To know the word. I don't know the word enough. All of us, we we, we need to know the word more. We need to walk in the spirit more. We need to be full of the spirit. We need to be full of the joy and the love that Christ is. It says that in Christ was the fullness of the Spirit. I believe that for me as a believer, to be more and more like Christ involves a lot. But it's not something that's not worthy to strive towards. This is something that a lot of us have to figure out on our own, in our own timing. But I just challenge you to take that call seriously. The gospel is has too much writing on it for us not to take it to heart. And the passion that we have as believers, so much of that 
comes from an experience with God. Pastor always says that someone who has had an experience is not at the mercy of someone with an argument. If you want to avoid that old, dusty tradition and religion that so many people my age harp on, then get to know God. 